Welcome to the Kino Lefter Freedom Hour, uh, dedicated to podcasters' rights and uh, economic injustice. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Evan, and in the studio, I have some titans of business with me uh, here to talk about uh, success-oriented business plans. Welcome. Hello. Um, actually, I'm a titan of business who's currently accepting welfare from the government. Uh, it's the only way my business can stay running. Why would you do this to our podcast? I, I took our podcast and I made sure that the government is going to come and give us the handout we need. They need to structure our business lives. They need to dictate it so that they can dictate what's good for the people. No, no, no. We we have produced all the clout on this show. We are the drivers of the engine of success. And thank goodness that we have uh, the economic freedom uh, in order to pursue uh, podcasts free from government interference. Oh, that's a that's a knock on the door. Who is it? Oh my God, it's Justin Trudeau. Bum, Hi, bum, this bum. is Justin Trudeau uh, coming to you live from uh, Canada's capital city of Toronto. <laughs> uh, I'm here to say that your podcast is being nationalized for the good of the Canadian people and the Quebecois. Uh, <laughs> Sacre bleu! <laughs> I, will, I will not give you one microphone, sir. I will not give you one Patreon dollar of our, that we earned with our blood, sweat, and many, many tears. As, as the head of state of Canada, uh, you don't have to give me anything, but you do have to give your microphones to the people of Canada and the Quebecois. No, no, no. Uh, we built these microphones. We own these microphones. We will not nationalize this podcast. I'm just going to point at a big number and say, you didn't build that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to stop the motor of the podcast. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to Kino Lefter, uh, where socialist podcast that talks movies. You know what it is. I'm Abdul at Abdul Y. Malik. I'm Laura at underscore Saturn Return. And I'm Evan at McDonald Tweets. And uh, this week, we have actually joining the Kino Lefter Hall of Fame for repeat guests, of which is just Kyla Pascal and Do Not Eat Zero One. Our good friend Justin is back on the podcast to talk uh, Atlas Shrugged uh, with us. How's it going? Oh, it's pretty good. I'm excited here to discuss, uh, you know, the greatest train movie since Unstoppable. <laughs> the winner Which of... coincidentally, was also the last train movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the genre has petered out. Uh, the Atlas Shrugged trilogy, uh, the winner of numerous Academy Awards, uh, billions of box office dollars, <laughs> and it's really influenced culture in a surprising way. Uh, Snowpiercer is another good one. A Train to Busan is an anti-public uh, transit psyop. <laughs> uh, people yeah. who take trains are zombies is the implication. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate we have so many anti-public transit movies out there. Like what? Train to Busan, as, as, as mentioned. <laughs> um, the Taking of Pelham 123 is another one. You take a train, you're going to get uh, terroristed. Um, Any movie featuring a car is inherently anti-public transit. Um, after the recording of this podcast, we are asking Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to enact Directive 10-289 to drone strike every car currently on the road. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I think uh, Canada would be a lot better if you had more trains and less cars. And we could use them, actually. Um, so what do you have going on right now, Justin? Like, uh, what videos do you have in the works? Like, what's, uh, what's happening on the public transit YouTube front? So I'm doing public housing part two. That should be out very soon. Um, although I've been saying that for a while and it hasn't happened. But I've at least got the draft out for the Patreons. The content and then after maker's that, dilemma. Gonna, uh, after that, we'll uh, talk about... Um, uh, I'm going to do the next Franklin episode that's going to be about banking and yeah. Steven Gerrard. Uh, uh, not and, Rothschild and, Central Banking? No, no. This is French banking, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's funny because like, we donate to the Patreon, so he saw that the draft was up, but 
Uh, I know I, for one, definitely did not watch it because I'm just waiting for the final, but it's nice to know that I could. You know, if I ever need my do-not-eat fix, um, I know it's there for me. (laughs) In your time of need. You have to give me a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think so. Everyone listening, my Patreon is cheaper than the Kino Lefter Patreon. That's actually true. Uh, (laughs) uh, We should actually probably up that to five at the end of the episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know yours was. I just know I gave you $5, I think. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> the invisible hand of the market strikes again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. unfortunately, we're going to be moving into the plot recap <laughs> of Atlas Shrugged Part 1. No subtitle. There are subtitles for the other ones. Um, who's going to take it away? I will take it away. Uh, so, this. Okay, so we're going to be doing all three plot recaps together. Uh, as we were discussing in the car, True Cinephile skipped the plot recap. And I would highly suggest that you do this for this one because it's going to be nonsensical. But uh, we have. Dagny Taggart. She is a titan of business. She owns, uh, or she's a part owner of um, of Taggart Rails, and her fail son brother uh, also runs the company. The U.S. is facing a crisis because capitalism is collapsing, and everyone's uh, joining with the forces of Occupy Wall Street. Um, they have uh, they need to build these new rails because gas has become so expensive um, that they have nothing, nothing can move without the trains. So she strikes a deal with a uh, businessman named Reardon who uh, has this brand new type of steel. Um, they go to uh, dinner parties and titans of business keep going missing. Uh, so a mysterious shadowy figure is coming up to them and saying, aren't you mad that the government is taking your shit? And spiriting them away. Yeah, and uh, the mysterious phrase that they're left with is, who is John Galt? Who is John Galt? And uh, yeah, I don't think anything else happens in the movie. There's a lot of dinner parties and a lot of people talking in like whispered hushed tones and having business meetings. It ends with a oil tycoon setting his oil fields on fire. Um, Like you could call it Kuwaiti style um, so that the government couldn't have them. And then uh, going on, saying that he, in fact, is going on strike. <laughs> and then the, the actor who played that guy looked like Steve Bannon. I was, like, it was. Oh, shit, I thought it was Steve Bannon at first. Like I had to yeah, go exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that happens is that uh, Reardon and uh, Taggart also go to an old uh, factory, and they find this. Uh, this plan for a machine that runs on perpetual motion i don't know <laughs> yeah it uh, they go to the yeah. factory of the 20th century motor company one and, that was uh, ripped apart by socialism yeah it's it's truly a crime so moving on to atlas shrugged part two colon the strike <laughs> um we've got a entirely new cast uh an entirely new directorial vision uh, this movie starts with uh, Dagny Taggart in a chasing another private jet through the mountains, uh, and she's about to die in a horrific plane crash. And her last words are, "Who is John Galt?" Uh-huh. <laughs> um, nine months earlier, um, Hank and Dagny find uh, a man who looks exactly like Jared Fogel, a Quentin Daniels scientist, <laughs> um, who is going to try and complete. Um, the perpetual energy machine that takes uh, uh, atmospheric static electricity and pumps out infinite clean energy. So good for them. They solved uh, the climate crisis. Um, Excellent. So, oh, and the factory's in Utah. Uh, great, sta- great, a beautiful state, Utah. We got to shout it out. Also, uh, thanks to John Hickenlooper, Colorado is now the center of the American economy. That's an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, Love his department store. <laughs> God, that that was that was an incredible find. Uh, so. Dagny's brother, Jimmy Taggart, James Taggart, he runs into a shop clerk and marries her. Uh, And then uh, Francisco Danconia, uh, a sexy Mexican man, um, (laughs) argues with guests at the wedding over whether money is evil or not. (laughs) And he is a bad wedding guest. Uh, He then proceeds to blow up his copper mines um, and he disappears Ooh, without a trace, where is he going? But who is John Galt? We don't know who John Galt is yet. 
Um, Wait, this guy's name was Danconia? Yeah. Fra- <laughs> Francisco Danconia. A famous album oh, by oh. Outkast. <laughs> I, I thought he ran some kind of right-wing YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> um, President Thompson. I was pretty drunk for this film. So. <laughs> I, I really like the idea of just like... So when this movie was made, it, we weren't as online as we are today. But I wish there was like a right-wing YouTuber uh, who... Uh, who retires and leaves one video like, <laughs> who is John Galt? <laughs> well, one of the, I mean, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but like pretty much I would say the daddy of all right wing YouTubers uh, makes an appearance in the third, but we'll get, we'll get to that. Um, I just picture like a right wing YouTuber. Uh, like, you know, they have the stupid, like uh, clickbaity thumbnails. It's like, Six things you missed in Atlas Shrugged Part Two, and he's doing the um, OK sign with uh, both hands and the three fingers are up on either side. That rocks. So uh, Hank Reardon strikes a deal with Ken Daniger, coal magnate, uh, in breach of the Fair Share Act, um, which means that uh, it forces businesses to sell to all buyers. Uh, they are both charged, and uh, uh, Hank Reardon, who is now played by a heavy smoker in this movie, is brought to trial um, and has a viral moment where he uh, is exonerated of his crimes. Because of awesome speechifying. Uh, if if you don't have to watch the movie, you can just watch this. It's essentially, you can't tell me what to do with my product, and, and that's it. Um, so... Um, Dagny quits the railroad. She leaves the company, leaving her idiot brother in charge who appoints a guy who's been there for eight months to run the actual railway. Um, Dagny goes to Colorado um, to show her faith in the railway, um, but uh, her train's engine fails. Um, So (laughs) she meets a mechanic from the 20th Century Motor Company, uh, who reveals a secret that John Galt used to work at the 20th Century Motor Company. And uh, on a certain day when the 20th Century Motor Company decided that people were going to work according to their abilities and get paid according to their needs, John Galt stood up and said, no, I will stop the engine of the world and walked out like a boss. Um, two trains crash under or a mountain, um, <laughs> killing a lot of people. Um, and then uh, Jared Fogel escapes, um, going to uh, a destination unknown. Uh, Dagny chases him in a plane, uh, goes through uh, the Wakanda hidden mountain thing from Black Panther, <laughs> crashes her plane, and wakes up to uh, none other than John Galt greeting her to uh, this paradise. Third movie now, Justin. Take it away. Oh, God. So, like, the, the first 30 minutes were kind of a blur to me because I resumed it today after having, you know, browned out for most of that. But, like, okay, so they were they were in, um, they were in, uh, the L.L. Bean catalog, Gulch Gulch, right? And, and then, and then I, I sort of, uh, browned back in when Dagny Taggart was leaving. <laughs> And they were all they were all mad at her for doing that. When when they and were in there, they they established the rules of their libertarian paradise, where you're not allowed to uh, give anyone anything. You have to earn everything, and nobody uh, shares. And uh, there's apparently there's a doctor who's um, putting some weird diagnostic tool on her, and she's like, "What is that space age tool?" He's like, "It's amazing what medicine can do without regulation." <laughs> Red tape reduction right, mindset. So get, get in the. Uh getting audited by the Scientologists apparently. <laughs> they, made a, they made a quick uh, they made a, a, a quick grab for uh, Galt's Gulch. Uh, you know. Her Thetan so, level um, her Thetan levels were out of this world. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I mean like uh, okay, so what happened in part three? Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, one of my there, there was, one of my favorite moments in uh, Galt's Galt's Gulch, <laughs> a.k.a. Prager University in real life. Um, she goes yeah. to a farmer's market before she leaves and meets Ragnar the pirate, um, who's this notorious pirate that we've been hearing about, um, who's basically a Robin Hood for the rich, and uh, it's incredible. Oh, God, I missed that. I was drunk for that. <laughs> he's just, like, buying I... peaches or something, and he's like, oh, hi, I'm Ragnar. <laughs> oh, God. 
So she gets flown out in a DC-3, I remember that, and then there's some sequence about Union thugs, and then there's like, uh, so then there was like, um, some, some, some guy who was John Galt's physics professor was like, <laughs> pressured into signing off on Project F, which is some kind of torture device where they have a bunch of sparks and it hurts you, I guess, right? And he's like, I won't sign this. And the other guy's like, well, if you don't sign this, and he's like, "All right, I'll sign this." <laughs> very principled. <laughs> so not not very not very effective pushback. I, I would say that this is not a not a man who believes in direct action. Um, what else? They're trying to nationalize the railroads, but in like a really dumb way, as opposed <laughs> to a way that would work. Uh, and then they have a bunch of like they're they're in a, a room, and there's like government guys, and they're all smoking cigars. And they're talking um, about how they're going to sacrifice Minnesota for the good of the other yeah, people. Yeah, like it's like, well, that, that's not actually how things work, but okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm not very good at suspending disbelief. <laughs> um, and then there's, uh, oh, oh, Dagny and um, uh, uh, what's his face? John called <laughs> uh, Bang in a signal tower. <laughs> um, and I'm like, there's, there's, Probably, probably some railroad puns here. Career <laughs> and steel. Yeah. <laughs> so you get, they uh, they highballed, uh, and what else? Um, they did the speech. The John Galt speech happened. Um, Ron Paul was there. <laughs> uh, Fuck. Oh god. They said the the Taggart Bridge collapsed, and they showed a picture of the fourth for the fourth bridge, uh, which I was mad about. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. It was like nothing happened. It was very boring. I didn't like it. They get on a <laughs> helicopter, and the last shot is um, them circling the Statue of Liberty. I believe. Am I correct? Yep. Yeah. And then it says, "Oh, right." The end. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. The like. They like cause a blackout in New York City, and I'm like, you know, about like about like ten thousand elderly people were just directly. <laughs> like, oh wow, this is like some kind of positive thing. I like, know you just killed a bunch of people. Like, That's objectivism, baby. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> and then the final shot credit on the film is the end, and then under that quote uh, under brackets, um, the beginning question mark. <laughs> Um, that was disgusting. I was like, what, what, get, get this out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> so um, who wants to take a shot at explaining what objectivism is to our uh, listeners who may not know? Not me. <laughs> so uh, objectivism is uh, kind of two parts. One is a metaphysical uh, explanation that, like, there is only the real world. Um, like there is nothing to perceive outside of that. The more interesting part is it is an ideology that is entirely centered on the self and uh, its moral uh, good is uh, everyone acting in their own self-interest will provide the maximum social benefit. Um, so it views anyone who relies on other people's will or other people's charity as parasites. Um, Ayn Rand is very uh, clear <laughs> about yep. this. Um, and uh, the the cent like the highest uh, the highest state that someone can be in is like a high achiever. One's achievements are uh, like paramount in life. It's what you're based on. It's what you're judged on. Um, so uh, it's lit and. Uh, <laughs> We can't wait to see how it will be deployed in Zack Snyder's The Fountainhead coming soon. <laughs> this is an actual movie that's coming out in like a couple of years. Um, does anybody kind of want to give oh a little bit God. of background on who Ayn Rand is in particular? Do you want to take a stab at that, Justin? Or if she were, uh, she, she, she used to live in the Soviet Union and then she managed to get out. She moved to the United States. She's like, well, this is, you know, much better. Shit free market capitalism all the way <laughs> and uh you know then, then then she took it too far um you know i i don't know how oppressed she was in the soviet union what with you know the guaranteed housing and like you know just sort of general like a lot of good stuff was free but apparently she didn't like it too much 
there's that great um, meme I love that's like, um, you know, people reading, like, I think it's Bakunin, and they're like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then they're like, Sterner, and they're like, this is all right. And then it's like Ayn Rand, and it's like, oh, no, we have to go back. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, like, very accurate. Because I think there is, like, um, sort of a argument to be made for individualist, like, anarchism. It's not my thing. But, you know, like, Sterner wasn't a complete and absolute uh, moron. <laughs> um, whereas Ayn Rand is yeah. uh, is quite special. Um, um, a, a very, very dumb person. <laughs> <laughs> um, also died living off welfare, which uh, there's no actual shame in that, but I mean there is shame in it if you're Ayn Rand. Um. <laughs> yeah, yes. um, objectivism uh, isn't well, I mean, objectivism uh, is, you know, its own thing. Ayn Rand, a very interesting political figure. Uh, she was uh, very pro-choice um, and she hated indigenous people. Um, there's uh, Why? Um, because they weren't doing anything productive with the land and they deserved to have it taken from them in order for, uh, you know, capitalists to, you know, make something of it. Uh, it's a very Lockean interpretation of who owns land. Uh, so John Locke, one of his central arguments is that you don't own land unless you improve it somehow, which is like just designed to be a justification for colonialism. Um, and obviously the colonial project um is is embedded in these movies in an interesting way like oh the world is yours to explore and make something of right so uh ayn rand uh i think we can all agree um her grave is one of the nicest public restrooms in the united states (laughs) you should do a tour of great uh of great gender neutral washrooms yeah both uh, ayn rand and uh margaret thatcher up there in uh what is the town's called valhalla it's uh north of New York City. Uh, Ayn Rand's grave is somewhere in there. I, I love that it's called Valhalla. That oh, just sort of like yeah. is like such a neat little bow, like a neat little capstone <laughs> on an absolutely wretched life. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, this movie... These movies fucking sucked. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Do not watch them. Uh, this might be the yeah, one where you actually listen to the plot uh, recap because um, it beats... Uh, watching them in totality but justin you're the one who suggested we do atlas shrugged and i feel like there's a reason for that that sort of intersects with uh the work you do as a left tuber um what might that be so i mean the one thing which i was very frustrated about this movie is that it was supposed to be a movie about trains as far as i was concerned and there were not very many trains in the movie (laughs) right and and it was it it, and it's kind of like okay so I, I guess they're trying to make it a movie about, like, business, right? <laughs> but there's, like, a bunch of, like, like there's there's people meeting in rooms, and they're talking to each other, and then they're, like, at a party, and they're doing business deals. Like, it's, 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 there's very little, like, focus on, like, the actual work of, like, running a railroad, right? Um, you know, there's, like, there's, there's just, like, the, the, these people don't understand, like, labor, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a great view uh, of Dagny Taggart uh, and CEOs in general as people who are expert practitioners at the services that their businesses provide. So Dagny, uh, in part three, just like draws a quick plan for laying rail uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, I can do this in three months. Ellis Wyatt knows everything about oil production, but these people... Uh, in the real world, obviously, do not possess the skills that uh, their workers do. Uh, two great train moments that I want to highlight in these movies, because I, I think they're okay train moments. Uh, in part one, when they construct, um, what is it, the the John Galt line, there's a big bridge over the Springfield Gorge, <laughs> um, and uh, they run the, the super train or whatever on the rear metal uh, and they're just kind of smiling at each other, and the music's like, oh, what a triumphant moment. The train is running, and <laughs> people are pumping their fists in the air. I liked that. Um, and then in part two, um, Dagny, um, played by the second worst Dagny Taggart actress <laughs> in the trilogy, um, says, I'm the face of Taggart Transcontinental. I'm not going to Colorado by plane or car. I'm taking the train. <laughs> I did like that. I did like that. It was baller. That's a fucking mood. Uh, it was like one of the few times in this film where anyone 
took the train, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, it's like there's this one time you use your own train and you use it as like sort of a publicity stunt, but you would never consider taking the train just for regular transportation. <laughs> it's like when you hear about airline CEOs, like uh, I think it's Delta. Um, the CEO uh, makes a point to occasionally fly coach just to see what it's like for the other passengers and to like mingle and to like do like reconnaissance on how to better exploit people Yuck. Uh, or whatever. And it's like it's exactly like that, right? Where he doesn't actually have to give a shit about the like three times a year he has to fly coach because um, every other time he's in his either private jet or flying first class at the very front. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it sort of reminded me a lot about what that's like. Like, even if they had train, they'd be in a private car uh, at the very top. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it'd be, it, it, it's dumb. It's very dumb. <laughs> uh, so I think one of the things uh, we can probably start with is... Um, so there's like a real mythic aspect to this movie. Like it's so full of self-importance and some of the lines actually do slap. You know what I mean? Like when John Galt stands up and said, I'm going to stop the motor of the world. I'm like, yes, big Bill Haywood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, you know, when, when um, even just the title itself, right? Like Atlas shrugged and yeah. this like big, like I am John Galt, but somehow Ayn Rand fucks it up. Uh, not just through objectivism, but imparting stupid names onto every character. And I just wanted to ask, um, what do we think the stupidest name in this movie is, uh, or in Atlas Shrugged in general? Um, Agni Taggart. Yeah, that's that's the that's the choice. <laughs> it's Daenerys Targaryen, same energy. <laughs> Abdul made yeah. that joke off pod. <laughs> um, uh, Midas Mulligan is a really good one. I don't even know who this person is, but they appear in part one and part three. <laughs> I don't but, remember who that is. Um, I also just want to point out, I'm looking at the grid right now, the actor's grid, because every movie has a different cast, and the actors themselves have names as stupid as the um, uh, characters they play. So, Francisco Domingo Carlos Andres Sebastian Danconia <laughs> is played... <laughs> fucking thing from the princess bride <laughs> is played in the first movie by jesu garcia and in the last movie by joaquin de almeida neither of which feel like real names he got uglier and uglier I'm, as the as the trilogy uh, progressed oh yeah and he I, aged 10 I'm years sure they're movies. very nice pardon i said i'm sure they're very nice <laughs> <laughs> um i like mal i want to i want to denigrate the working people who made this film <laughs> <laughs> I like um, as a monument against working people. <laughs> I like Mouch, the the evil uh, Bernie Sanders analog. I loved him. I was really disappointed to see Robert Picardo, the doctor from Star Trek Voyager in the second one. Like that really disappointed me in a big way because he's a really great character in Star Trek. But um, do we think the actors in this movie actually believe the philosophy of uh, Atlas Shrugged? I did some googling and nothing came up about that. Uh, it's hard to say. Um, so in part two, um, Laura Palmer's dad and the atheist lawyer from God's Not Dead 2 plays the president. Um, and I feel like his politics might align uh, with this kind of uh, <laughs> fantasy based on his track record. Like in God's Not Dead 2, he's basically like, I'm going to prove that the devil is real and Christians are bad. <laughs> um, but uh, I think you see this in the first movie. Um, I would argue that the cast of the first movie is probably the strongest. Um, the person who plays Piper in Orange is the New Black plays Daggy Taggart. Taylor Tagger, Schilling. Yeah. Taylor Schilling. Um, and they are just re they're gone uh, by the time part two comes out because one, the negative critical reception. But I think also two, like a lot of these actors need to get paid and maybe they don't have the time to figure out what Atlas Shrugged really is because yeah. they have so many projects coming their way. So, yeah, they don't know. They can't, you know, take time to question who is John Galt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would assume most of these folks. Yeah. They just want the fucking paycheck. Like, all right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've done a lot in this fucking acting thing. Sure. I'll, I'll be in the Atlas Shrugged movie. <laughs> Um, I have to say my uh, favorite name, uh, so my least favorite might be Wesley Mouch. Uh, and also, like, every government bureaucrat in this movie is coded as just being, like, uh, Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Basically just, like, 
like long nosed, simpering, balding men saying like, "Well, successful people are bad, and we <laughs> we need to reduce prices on everything." Yeah, they're just like simpering lizards. Yeah, very effete compared yeah. to the big, strong Hank Reardon's of the movie. <laughs> Hank Reardon, he's going to fuck you in the ass, right? He's got that kind of powerful name. Um, but my favorite name is uh, Ragnar Daniskold, the pirate <laughs> and uh, terror of the high seas. Um, he explains his political philosophy at the farmer's market uh, in Atlantis. Uh, so it's it's Atlantis, Galt's Gulch, um, and it has another name. Doesn't it? I don't remember. It's it's terrible. Um, but he says that uh, he sinks cargo ships because uh, he only sinks them if the government takes resources from private business. And he gives them back to their rightful owner. Yeah, it's it's evil Robin Hood. And he's got a powerful look. He just looks like John Travolta in uh, From Paris with Love. <laughs> uh, if you look at the poster of that movie, uh, you'll see what I'm getting at. How, how does he make money from sinking ships? No, he gives them back. Like, he gives the resources back to the rich people. I think he just does it on his, like, off time from Atlantis. So he, like, he sinks the cargo ship, and then he gives the resources back. I, I was very drunk for this point. <laughs> uh. Oh, okay, so um, it's Galt's Gulch, it's all Atlantis, but it's also Mulligan's Valley. I don't know if these are distinct regions uh, in Wakanda. <laughs> but, uh, Wakanda for rich three, people? Those are the three sections of the Yellow Bean. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, so let's just very quickly touch on the troubled production before we get to the film's issues with uh, trade and infrastructure. Um, yeah, these films were a disaster to make. Uh, they were expecting this to be like an independent cinema success on the level of like Passion of the Christ famously, which grossed hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, the producers were like funded by all sorts of like huge Ayn Rand fans and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and uh, there was also a 1958 adaptation of Atlas Shrugged, which I have not seen. Um, and the budget for the first one was $18 million, which is, uh, I mean, this is proof that the free market <laughs> does not work. Um, but what I find the most interesting is you can watch the, like, degradation of quality in these movies. Like, the first one is filmed very competently. It's almost like a real movie. Yeah, it had almost, like, a very CBC quality to it. Like, the kind of B-movie, Hallmark movie kind of vibe. I felt like I was watching Canadian TV as, as it went forward. Um, so, yeah, um, this movie has been in development hell for essentially 40 years. Um, in 1972, Rand was approached for a film adaptation, but she wanted final script approval. Uh, she didn't get it, so they didn't go through with that version of the movie. Um, then there was going to be an eight-hour Atlas Shrugged miniseries on NBC uh, in 1978. Um, did not go through. Uh, there was some new leadership at NVC that decided that this might be a mistake. Because communists, the, right? Yeah, yeah, communists. The, yeah, the fuck, book, fucking commies. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's interesting because like the book also got very negative critical reception when it came out, but it was massively successful uh, because of the Mark Cubans of the world. Um, and so before she died, Ayn Rand, uh, she used to be a Hollywood screenwriter. She started writing a script for an Atlas Shrugged movie, but died. <laughs> One third through it, probably because she realized her work was so bad. <laughs> she saw herself in the mirror, <laughs> and uh, and uh, she sadly passed away. Um, her estate uh, has the rights to uh, Atlas Shrugged, um, and then it was like optioned later. So there's also that's like, what she would have wanted. <laughs> yeah, there's also like a fitness yeah. guy. Like there's a guy who owns like a fitness equipment store who produces these movies. Like it's just a. It's just a very strange hub of objectivist people with a lot of money. Uh, I think the eight-hour miniseries probably would have ended with the last three episodes being uh, the John Galt speech, <laughs> helpfully split into three uh, three parts. Uh, the dragon learns that the train was bad at the end of it and melts that and its symbolism. Uh, <laughs> uh, Game of Thrones, everybody. Um, but my favorite fact about the film's production is... For the last part, they actually had to kickstart a good chunk of the money to make it because they ran out of money and no one was watching the first one or the second one, which uh, I don't know what that says about, like, you know, the free market in general. Um, 
or that they're like begging for donations, but it's an incredible feat. Just just consider that one of these movies was funded off of um socialism. Um <laughs> there's a great Well, it turns out that no one cares about this shit. <laughs> right? There's a right. terrific line in the Kickstarter for Atlas Shrugged Part Three subtitle Who is John Galt? Um, that's, um, this isn't charity. This is a value for value transaction. If you don't want to support it, don't. And it's like, (laughs) cool, I won't. (laughs) All right, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to tell me twice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, off pod, Justin, you mentioned that the, the film gets a lot of things wrong about trade and transportation and trains. Um, and steel, and I feel like this is 100% your wheelhouse. Yeah, and you said, and I quote, Reardon Metal is stupid, and we need to learn more about yes. that. Yes, because it sounds like the strongest, lightest, most powerful metal ever known <laughs> to man. All right, so the thing about like metal, right, is it's very, very, very easy to do objective tests on its strength, right? Um, because it's extremely like homogenous, right? As opposed to like materials like say carbon fiber or like some kind of wood composite or you know even concrete, right? It's very easy to do tests on metal, um, and I mean it's just like it's something like a dog bone test, you know, where you just pull it until it breaks, and you can get all the data out of it. So like the idea behind this film is like the government's trying to suppress Reardon steel. It's not. It's not tested, you know. Uh, no, no one ever figured it out, right? You know, and it turns out no. Actually, this is like something that's very, very easy to test. It's the easiest material in the world to test, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, you just, you know, you pull it until it breaks, and then it's like, oh, we got the Young's modulus and everything, right? You know, this is like not a, not a big deal. But the other thing, of course, is that it doesn't matter how strong the steel is in railroad rails, right? Uh, it, it, it's irrelevant. Like it's, it's, you know, you, you have bigger rails to have higher speed trains. Uh, and you know, they may last for a very long time. Uh, you know, and, and the, the, the big thing is like, what, what are the curves like? What's the roadbed like? What are the grades like? You know, it's, it's very dumb. Like just the concept of like, we have a very strong steel, which we can use for railroads. Like this is dumb as shit. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter how strong the steel is. Like there's a reason why like these big ass skyscrapers are made out of mild steel because, you know, you use the shit steel for putting up buildings, you know, like really difficult, hard, you know, hard, hard to make steel is used for stuff like knives and like, you know, uh, stuff like that. You know, uh, st- steel is like it, it. It it it's good enough. Like the not good steel is still good enough for most purposes. Thanks for coming to my test. <laughs> <laughs> um, what gauge were they using? Out of curiosity, did you catch that? Probably four foot eight and a half inches. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, Justin, have you considered that the combination of reared metal and also painting flames on the sides of the train would make it go faster? Painting flames on the side of the train adds a lot more horsepower than <laughs> better rail, right? We all know that like every flame decal adds like five horsepower. <laughs> yeah, it's just science. Uh, if you go to the State Science Institute uh, in the world of Atlas Shrugged, they will tell you that. That's why before yeah, I yeah. Uh, go jogging, I make sure to put my button-up shirt on that I got from uh, West 49. <laughs> from Guy Fieri's American <laughs> Kitchen. <laughs> that has uh, flames and dragons. Um, yeah, it's funny. I'm doing marathon training right now. I'm not actually, but I'm doing marathon training right now, and I've I got an appointment for flame tattoos on my calves too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one day I will be the Flash, baby. Yeah, you're going fucking I'm ballistic. Surprised they haven't declared that to be a performance enhancing drug <laughs> in the Olympics. Uh, so I I just found this uh, some fun facts about the producers of this movie. Uh, I was right when I thought that one of them was a fitness dude, but it also gets weirder just to think about the kinds of people who think you know what. I'm going to fund an Atlas Shrugged movie. Um, so John Aguilero and Harmon Caslo uh, are the two producers of the movies. Um, so uh, Al Gialoro is the CEO of fitness equipment company Cybex and a poker player. And Caslo is a producer of such horror classics, including Night Train, Autopsy, and Boo. <laughs> <laughs> So he made another train film, interesting. 
maybe he just really maybe he just really likes trains, but his like scriptwriters keep giving him bad material. He's just he's just a yeah. It's just, he because if he really liked trains, there'd be more trains in this. Movie. <laughs> yeah, it's all the same cinematic universe. Um, here's a fun game that I wanted to play with you. So, um, there's a moment, uh, blink and you'll miss it, in Atlas Shrugged Part Three. Who is John Galt? Where Dagny is in. Galt's Gulch. <laughs> um, and she's in this like weird camp bed that all of the new recruits sleep in with engravings uh, above her from the people who have slept there before saying like, you're doing great, sis. <laughs> and they sign it. Um, so I actually paused it to see what their what the names were on them, because some of them look like real names. Others were very interesting. Um, so, you know, if you think this one is fake, let me know. Um, Chris J. Roofer. <laughs> Real. Ivan Leroy Holt II. Real. <laughs> Ethel May Humphies. <laughs> That's gotta be fake. I double checked. I was like, it has to be Humphreys. There's no R. <laughs> uh, Diane and Joel A. Schleicher. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Howard DeWitt Morgan. And this might be my favorite one. And this is not me stumbling on my words. <laughs> David S. Drudgemuller. <laughs> D-R-D-E-G-E-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. <laughs> Just fucking awful. It went, 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 he, uh, you know, uh, Robert Mueller finally went on the drug. <laughs> and, like, explained everything. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like Fight Club. Uh, there's one, there's like two frames in the movie where the, the Mueller report in its entirety flashes on screen. <laughs> um, it's, uh, so you also mentioned, Justin, on top of getting trains uh, spectacularly wrong, this movie also gets trade spectacularly wrong. Um, um, Yes, uh, I don't recall how I remembered that, but yes, it, it it's very bad, right? Because, uh, ah, crap, let me go back through the notes. I love um, how one of your notes is just union.thugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, because that was really funny. It was like, wow, union thugs, uh, you know, seized the, um, uh, the thing. So... I mean, one of the uh, one of the things which is going on is like, okay, so like these CEOs disappear, right? And then like their industries just shut down immediately. <laughs> it's like, whoa, yeah. you know, actually, if you like abandon, say, a steel mill because you're the CEO and you leave, you know, it turns out like the steel mill is still there, <laughs> right? The act- As it turns out, you can't just like tear it down overnight by yourself. Um, so, you know, uh, someone else may come in and start running the business, you know, like, or someone may take it over. Like, okay, I live in Philadelphia, right? And recently our oil refinery blew up, right? Everyone remembers Spectacular that. Spectacular explosion. Uh, it was incredible. I slept through it. <laughs> Most of my neighbors did not. I was very tired that night. Um, but... Uh, so it turns out that even after a large portion of the oil refinery blew up and the owners decided we're not even going to try and reopen, well, the oil refinery was still there. So they're, like, trying to reopen it because they're like, oh, wait, we still have an oil refinery. It just We just lost one big part of it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they're, the being pulled up by your bootstraps involves uh, be- literally building your business and tearing it down overnight. <laughs> um, um, part of this speaks to um, the awesome economics of this movie. Um, I think somewhere in the Fair Share Act, um, there's a sequence in part two where it's like, no one person can own more than one business. <laughs> and like they go to all of, uh, all of Hank Reardon's different companies and it's like, Reardon Metal Company, and then some like fat government guys like, "Hey, fucking give me your business over here! I'm walking." It's it's so fucking good. I'm in support of that rule. I'm a hundred percent in support of that. Me rule. too. I, no, I was also yeah. no no one per- <laughs> no one person can own more than one company. 
Um, the but it's also like completely irrelevant because like one company can do like a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> with those uh, with those government regulations that were put in place, uh, they also sent the union thugs, which is interesting <laughs> to see the way that they like conflated big uh, government with unions and that they're one and the same and that they're controlled by uh, the same people. And. <clears throat> Like, this is the part where they're like, no one person can own more than one business. Isn't, like, doesn't that uh, splitting up large business exist as a function of, like, antitrust and anti-monopoly law to begin with? Like, uh, we don't need like, them. Uh, not since the 50s. Pardon? But we gave up on it. <laughs> oh, right. I guess. <laughs> yeah, the last guy to do that was Teddy Roosevelt. Like, with any, any effective... Like, to any effect. <laughs> this is why American voters, spoil your ballots. You think you want to vote for Bernie, you're going to write in the Bull Moose Party. All right? Teddy Roosevelt, he's back, baby. <laughs> um, I was just, uh, when you had your notes up, I was also really fond of the one that says, guy who can actually make the trains run on time, uh, colon, Lenin. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, like, Lenin was a very strong supporter of, like, Railway electrification, which is, you know, not something they were talking about in this movie. You know, it's like, instead, we're going to power the trains with a perpetual motion machine. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we already have that. It's called nuclear power. Um, <laughs> is the Mussolini thing a myth, like, about Mussolini making the trains run on time? Mussolini made the luxury trains run on time. Nice. Everything else was kind of shitty, still. <laughs> This guy, uh, sorry, another thing in your notes, because this is amazing. These guys yeah. left to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what that, they started Kino Lepter. That, that's what I thought when, like, they said, who is John Galt and disappeared. It's like, ah, oh, they've started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the John Galt experience. <laughs> yeah, it's just John Galt taking a fat bong hit and being like, Oh yeah, that's that's cool, man. But have you ever considered the virtue of your own morality? <laughs> went on, uh, who is John Glad that went on Joe Rogan? <laughs> yeah. uh, Tim Pool uh, just makes videos about how cool John Galt is, uh, and how uh, Tim Pool went on John Galt's podcast and then started getting more clout, claiming to be a centrist. But we all know he's a snake. Do not trust Tim Pool. I don't know why I have a vendetta against this guy right now. He's ugly. Uh, he's bad at his job. You're fucking canceled. Um, Tim sorry, Poole. I, I know I keep referring to your notes, but I have one more that I just need to read out to, for the podcast, which is. Um, labor is extremely unimportant in this film as evidenced by the cinematography (laughs) yeah yeah it's like like every once in a while they show like one guy doing one thing (laughs) well damn you know this guy did this one thing but this is completely unimportant compared to say you know all these people in uh, fucking I don't know what what, what do you call it Uh, some kind of party they're they're like, like the guys making decisions having mixed drinks <laughs> in the bar are much more important than the guys actually doing the work in this film. <laughs> yeah, and like when we see actual working people in this movie, I think it's very interesting. In like the first two movies, they're just like people protesting outside of like Taggart Transcontinental going like, I deserve a job. Give me a job. As if, like, they have a stack of jobs that they're ho- keeping everyone back from. The guys yeah. with resumes on their backs, like, walking in the street is just an incredibly nice touch. Yeah. And then in uh, part two or three, uh, Dagny is in Colorado um, because uh, she needs to be where the action is. She's got to be with the trains. The trains speak to her. She holds her ear close to it. And she hears the chew chewing like <laughs> like, uh, like a seashell. Um, but uh, she, yeah, she meets this one guy who used to work at the 20th Century Motor Company with John Galt. And he's just like, oh, my God, you're Dagny Tagger. Thank you. Thank you for my job. And just imagine like you're in Fort McMurray or something. Right. And then like the CEO of Suncor is there. And do you expect like, you know, working people there to go like, oh, oh my God, you're a guy who just like lives in a C-suite in Calgary and, like, fucks over my job uh, and, like, are more profitable than ever. Thank you Just so much for firing like, me. 
Hey, holy shit, bud. Thank <laughs> Holy <laughs> lifting Jesus, is that you, bud? <laughs> you want to have a dirt there, bud? <laughs> um, and I think that's a really like good way to like dovetail into this film and objectivism in general, but particularly this film um, has like a child's understanding of virtue and wealth and government, a sort of everything that uh, makes our society function. And maybe that's... I see you're still dipping in my notes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out a way to com- conflate everything yeah. at once. Um, you are stealing his labor, and I will not live for any man. I am quitting this podcast <laughs> if you do not stand in my way. If you wish to join me, fine. I'm in Wakanda for white people so, and Mexicans. Also known also known as the LLB. <laughs> also known as Reno, Nevada. Um, it's called the Pod Save America Network. <laughs> Crooked, Crooked Media. media. Um, but like, in what specific ways does this film, I know it's like, that's a vast question, uh, like completely go out of step with our normal re- reality of like how um, a state uh, hypothetically functions or how regulation functions, right? Or how taxation or even labor unions function. Um, I think a big one is uh, assuming that <clears throat> the government and labor are the same fucking cadre. Yeah. <laughs> uh, someone who works for a public sector labor union, <laughs> it's um, extremely weird to see that. Like, man, I wish uh, we had um, a militia enforcer gang <laughs> that was like <laughs> fighting for fair wages and enforcing regulation on the people. I couldn't understand the government's motives in this film. Like, I was like looking at him, like, what, what are you doing? Like, you're just, you know, like every, 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 every decision you make, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And, like, not even for, like, an interesting reason. It's like government is like some kind of inscrutable, chaotic force <laughs> in this film, as opposed to, you know, well, you know, the. Which, I mean, okay, government kind of is an inscrutable, chaotic force in the United States, at least. But, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's, it, it, the, the government seemed to be like, it, it, it didn't exist in a fashion that, like, I understand or could, like, look at and say, okay... There's consistent motivations here. It basically wielded the idea of the public good as this like bludgeon with which you knock down exceptional people who work hard uh, down to size, right? It's this idea that for the yes. public good, people need to be like sacrificed on the altar. There's a line I love with like ominous music playing where Mouch is being like, I will sacrifice anyone's profits for like the greater good. And I was like, Yes, absolutely. This is what we want. This is the future that socialists want. Lightning strikes. uh, He pulls his cape up towards himself and he turns into a bat. (laughs) Do we want to take a second and try to decode the Fair Share Act? Like what that is in the movie? Uh, Everything costs the same. Amazing. Uh, You can't fire anyone. Um, You can only produce a certain amount, not according to need, but just according to some arbitrary unit number. No, I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When you work, you have to work really hard. But if you don't need the money, you don't get paid. Uh, And there's also um, so the Fair Share Act comes into effect. And then like right after that. Um, the I don't even know if it's the United States anymore. It seems to be like some kind of like, uh, like authoritarian like state that's not oh. really named. Um, like there's a head of state instead of a president because she's trying to model it's, it's it after the, the Soviet it's Union. The people. Um, it's called the People's State of America. Oh, I love it. Come on, that is like porn for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Bernie Sanders should have been the president in this movie. Um, but I, I love it. Like uh, when uh, Laura Palmer's dad is on TV in the second one going like, we have to, we have to get rid of profit. <laughs> um, so uh, directive, um, what the fuck is it? Directive 10.289 is, uh, it has eight points that are brought in to supercharge the American economy by destroying it for some reason. Um, So no one can leave their job. Um, They can't be fired um, or change their terms of employment in any way, um, which is dope. Um, (laughs) All businesses have to remain open. Uh, The owners cannot 
sell or change management of it at all. Um, and all patents are owned by the United States government, which is fun. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, no new devices, inventions, products, or goods of any nature whatsoever shall be produced, invented, manufactured, or sold after the date of the directive. Okay, pause for a second. I'm not, I'm not even like the biggest ever fan of the Soviet Union, but... I think to argue that there was no innovation or invention <laughs> in the 69 nice uh, year period it existed is insane. Like, how is that even coded into the text of this book? And how can anyone believe that? Yeah, it's it's definitely I, it, it really makes you think <laughs> it's it's very it's very dumb. Like it's a it's a child's understanding of. You know, like anything, like I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> um, it's, it's very. And dumb. also, Evan, I just want to bring up that point at the beginning of Atlas Shrugged Part Three, where like, who is it in the room that's talking to the workers when John Galt stands up? Is that the company people? Yeah. Where they're like, we're going to have this new redistributive system in our company where anyone who says they need to make more money will get more money. <laughs> it's a co-op, right? Yeah, it sounds it's, ideal. Yeah, it's amazing. Shit, like, yeah. why not? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I want that. <laughs> yeah, the explanation for why it didn't work out, I think, at the end of part two, is that the people who worked hardest just kept working harder and harder and harder, and the neediest just got needier and needier, and then everyone <laughs> lost their money, and there were no more jobs. Just like a uh, libertarian obsession with jobs, too, like like that you know voluntarism uh in this in the regard of the way like objectivism looks at it right is just insane like that is it has no sort of moral limit to it it's just psychopathic and the fact that they seem to think this is like an aspirational ideal like i know it's a cliche blows my fucking mind every time (laughs) yeah the the end uh the last few points are really great um so every business must produce the same number of units uh, like from a baseline year into the future, um, which should which makes a lot of sense if you don't think about it. Um, <laughs> everyone needs to spend the exact same amount of money as you spent in a baseline year. Okay. Um, okay. So all wages, prices, salaries, dividends, profits, profits, interest rates, and all forms of income frozen at their present rates um and uh any issues are settled by an evil government board <laughs> so it's it's like this great uh like uh like soup like right-wing interpretation of socialism where it's just like okay like we seize the means of production what are we gonna do and it's like we're gonna throw it all in the toilet <laughs> And like, like well, it, damn, I was trying to drink less, but the government told me I need to go to the bar. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, it has no conception of redistribution of wealth. It has no, mm-hmm. it has no concept of, um, of sharing wealth or sharing profits between the workers or returning profits to, uh, the workers who that's their wages, as we all know, um, none of that at all is in that that text like the only uh hint that we have of like the ideology of the government uh in atlas shrugged i think comes in part three uh when john galt says that governments became scared of like free thinking business owners so they needed to control us and it's like that's all that government wants to do is control but it's like there's no kind of like indication of like economic justice or like how do you recover from a depression because like the american economy in this world is fucked right so there's there's no kind of like argument as to like what is to be done uh john galt's argument is fuck it you know the government the government made this problem so uh everyone all the seniors on their uh you know uh medical devices can die it doesn't matter we're going to live in Atlantis and uh, get rid of age of consent laws. <laughs> I like the concept of like these, these billionaires and millionaires and multi-billionaire millionaires, you know, all these people are like terrified of the concept that we will only have their current income in the future. <laughs> like they'll never be able to have more money. Right. And, and it's like, okay, what's the worst that's going to happen to you? Like uh, you won't be able, you, you won't be able to buy your own mega yacht. You'll have to, Hang out on your friend's mega yacht. Okay. <laughs> or <Whatever>. that <laughs> under hyperinflation, that their uh, wealth is going to become less wealthy because, you know, 
their billions of dollars will only Zimbabwe-like uh, be able to buy bread, right? Because that's their other yes. argument. Is like, look at Venezuela or Zimbabwe as examples of like hyperinflation, to say nothing of uh, the million other things that happened to cause those like uh, economic circumstances. But, I mean, to kind of wrap it up for this part of the episode, um, one of the things I think that's worth considering in a sort of political abstract when it comes to, like, socialism or library socialism, right, is this idea of, like, a common usage or the commons and then the ability to um, take what is in the commons, right? Uh, everyone collectively grows trees, therefore everyone has the right to the fruit that is born on those trees, right? Um, and you can use it and you can bear the fruit of it. You just can't destroy it. And like that to me is like such a good example of like how a socialist society should function, right? Common ownership. And that's really owning the value of your labor or the value of your collective labor, right? If we're looking at something a little more, I'd know collectivist or utopian. And it's like, what is in these people's brains that they can't seem to concede that, you know, sharing is good. Like the number one thing you taught from childhood. <laughs> yeah. Like the ideology, uh, of objectivism, uh, as portrayed in this movie is very explicit in that, um, there isn't really, uh, a society, uh, except in that, you know, like e even just like this one shot in part three, when Dagny's plane crashes, instead of like an em emergency response, getting her, it's just like, individuals just kind of walking up to see what's going on <laughs> like that's the ideal society um and at the end of john galt's speech he's talking about how like um take with you this like spark that you had in childhood where like you can explore anything and basically like uh the land that we live on uh is just an infinite hub of natural resources and uh the talented and uh like the virtuous will be able to succeed in this new world, right? And, like, what you achieve uh, is the only mark of character, right? Like, um, even in uh, the world of the Gulch, um, like, there is no charity. Um, the only way that you can survive is if you uh, give something that whoever is in charge of that society views as, like, a, like a valuable activity, Right, so it's a it's a dog eat dog world, very state of nature, um, and that is a good thing uh, in these movies. Um, what about you, uh, Justin? Any last thoughts before we move on to part two? I thought this movie was dumb. This this series of movies was very dumb. It was very just It was just a dumb like. I I'm sorry, I don't have a more sophisticated analysis. Of this. <laughs> like, well, this is stupid. This is really dumb. Why did I suggest we watch this? I, I have... <laughs> we were asking ourselves while we were watching this, like, why Why did he do this to us? Doesn't he love and us? I was like, no, no, I've, I've, I've done, I've, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, how about you, Laura? Uh, yeah, I just thought that... Um, in general the the ways that they kind of framed like this ominous vision of what a socialist uh dictatorship would bring about were like quite amusing to listen to and i thought um the really explicit uh ties to like in alberta we have a new minister of red tape reduction which i think takes a lot of uh, cues from this uh this kind of ideology and it was just like very interesting to see this like brought to life in a in a in a pop culture way and in a way it was kind of trying to do the same thing that we are right like we're trying to like elucidate the world from a certain perspective and uh it was so uh catastrophically um fucked up in its execution that uh, i actually had a great time watching it um just so you know justin from the american perspective uh, the minister of red tape production under arguably canada's most right-wing provincial government uh, got her start in <laughs> our social democratic government in Saskatchewan under 
like wait no, is no, that no, the minister? no no so so uh, the, the minister oh, that's the blue, blue ribbon panel oh, yeah oh, no bad. the minister yeah. of red tape reduction is one where they're just trying to basically streamline things like applications for new oil wells and all that kind of shit so that right. it doesn't have to go through a person it just goes through an automated process our right wing um the the new democrat who became the uh chair of something called a blue ribbon panel but they you know blue ribbon panel is a a nonpartisan term they used it for other things too but that one is about uh, reducing the deficit by only looking at, at expenditures, a.k.a. cutting health care. Yeah, sorry, that's the one that was um, that's currently being chaired by someone who worked in an allegedly social democratic uh, provincial government. Alberta. Well, as long as they don't get rid of the rat patrol, you know, that, that's a real, <laughs> real thing. That's half of our GDP. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only rats allowed in Alberta are the gay rats from Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like if it's actually like a uh, provincial jobs program is that, you know, you you know, some uh, countries have like mandatory military conscription uh, at the age of 18. <laughs> Uh, when you turn yeah. 18 in Alberta, you go on rat patrol. <laughs> <laughs> you go out into the bush, you murder some rats, you check some trains. You um, make sure they stay in Saskatchewan. Uh, much like uh, the homies in Nova Scotia, you die in a preventable ATV accident uh, on your way to kill a bunch of rats. Um, Look, you, you can't argue with results. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're building a rat wall. Um, it's a value-for-value value transaction. Um, so I know uh, this uh, part one of our part two, uh, two-part Atlas Shrugged um, extravaganza is a mess because the movie is a fucking mess like it's just an impenetrable mass of bad ideas <laughs> um but for the a second part which uh, you will be able to listen to if you donate on patreon uh we're going to be taking a couple of guided tours through uh the libertarian mindset sort of moving away a little bit from the movie and more to positive and negative reviews of the movie um alongside some cool uh, examples of um you know, libertarianism is real world praxis, <laughs> which were very successful, actually. I love living in Bioshock. Um, I'm, but I'm very excited to listen to it because I don't know what's going to happen. Even though <laughs> I'm about to listen to it before anyone else does. <laughs> Anything can happen on part two of the Atlas Shrugged crossover. Uh, what are we going to call this one? Uh, the Strike or Atlas Yeeted? <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is a child's understanding of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we love you. We will be back with part two in uh, the second you hit that download button after giving us three bucks a month. Love you. Bye. Bye. Kino Lefter is part of a loose affiliation of left-wing podcasts hosted by the bilingual journalism collective Ricochet. This network includes News You Can Use, Well Reds, Out of Left Field, Radio Free Winnipeg, 49th Parahel, and more. Support Canadian podcasting, support Canadian media, and support Ricochet at ricochet.media. Great podcast, check them out. Mm-hmm.